Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, I'm Rachel Woody, and I'm here with Mary Bieland from Bieland Winery, and we're going to discuss wine history today on June 4th at Douglas County Museum. So Mary, let me start with hopefully an easy one, and that's how did you and Paul decide to get into the wine industry? Okay, when I met Paul, he had already bought the property, already had planted the first grapes, and already had the first 500 gallons of wine. Oh, wow. So he already had it all started before I even met him. And then we were married, and then we actually opened up and started to bottle wine. How did you and Paul meet? We met at a wine tasting party. Um... I was a teacher down in South Umpqua, mm -hmm. and South Umpqua had a wine tasting party for all the new teachers, and that's where I met him. Wonderful. At that time, he was promoting Hillcrest Winery. Okay, so Paul started out with Richard Summer, mm -hmm. and could you say a few words about Richard Summer? He's not here for us to talk to, so we love to ask people who actually knew him. Oh, I knew him quite well. Um, he was very eccentric, but very, very faithful, very helpful in anything that you wanted. Um, in the first few years, he let, loaned us some equipment. He showed us how to do things. Uh, we, owe a, um, we owed an awful lot to Richard. Do you know why Paul chose Southern Oregon? He had um, looked around. I don't think he had actually wine uh, making in mind when he bought the property, but it was a 200-acre parcel, and there was lots of good farmland on it, and um, he got it at a good price, and he loved the area, so he bought the land, and then I think he met Richard and uh, went from there. So. Paul had the land and was starting to grow his own grapes, but mm -hmm. was training under Richard? I wouldn't say training. Richard had uh, his own winery already bonded, and mm -hmm. he was making wine. Um, but he did not know anything about marketing. And so uh, for a couple of years, my husband Paul did the marketing for him. Uh, he went to restaurants. He went to... Uh, resort places like Salishan Lodge mm -hmm. um, and gave out wine, convinced people to buy some Oregon wine and uh, that's what he did for the first couple of years that he knew Richard. And what was Paul's background? And I think that indicates how he got involved in the industry okay. as well. He was a teacher and an, a school administrator Okay. in Southern California and he got tired of all the hustle and bustle and wanted to get away from that LA area and so he came up to Douglas County. Oh wow, okay. And he was a promoter down there uh, 
in California too, within the school district. Mm -hmm. um, promoting was what he did. And what were some of the things I know you shared with me earlier about how he was involved in the industry beyond just the grape growing or the winemaking? Okay, um, Paul was the founder of the Oregon Wine Growers Association. Uh, I can remember the first few meetings that we had were at the country club with various people who were interested also in wine, not necessarily growing grapes, but in wine and selling wine. And um, they organized, they, they just sat down and they organized, well, what would we do as a group? And they came up with ideas of uh, like the wine festival, um, which would be promoting wine. Um, it's a long time ago. <laughs> I remember the meeting sitting there at around the table in the country club at the first couple of meetings of the Oregon Wine Growers Association. About how many people would you say were okay. making wine back then? Uh, there were between eight and ten uh, people there at that meeting. Um, some of them were doctors, some of them were businessmen. At the time, uh, there, were, there was a group of about five people who were thinking of even going into a distillery in, in Oregon, Roseburg. Um, that never did pan out, although they did grow grapes, uh, small acres of grapes. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, uh, some of them uh, were more into the social, perhaps. Mm -hmm. It was not all business. So I was particularly thinking of, of two doctors that we had in the group. Uh, they liked the social part. And they were the first people within the wine growers, and they did grow grapes, too. And I know that Paul was one of the first, of course, in the area. Do you recall some of the other names that were around that same era? Um, there was a Dr. Maffitt, Ted Maffitt, and Dr. Werner Anderson. Uh, both of them grew grapes. I don't remember how many acres they had. Um, oh, there was a Bill. I can't remember Bill's last name. Uh, probably will later on. Um, and of course, Richard Summer. Uh, those are the only names that come to my mind right offhand. Oh, Howard Hunsacker was another one. He was a business, a very prominent businessman in Roseburg. Um, but those are the names I could think of offhand. <laughs> okay. And what was your role? Were you involved in the winery at some point? Uh, or eventually. Uh, yes, my husband had the ideas, and I ended up doing a lot of the work, as in most cases that happens. Um, I did not do any vineyard work, That's, I will say. I refused to learn anything about the vineyard. Mm -hmm. But um, as far as the making of the wine, all the berry wines were completely my formulas, everything. Wow. Um, I did a lot of the blending. We bottled together. I did the labeling of the bottles. I worked in the wine tasting room. Um, Quite an involvement yeah, I, then. <laughs> and I did teach school full time. 
And so wow. this was after school, weekends, and all summer. Wow, an incredible amount of work. But obviously. when you're young, and I was young then, you have a lot of energy, and yes, you can do more than what a lot of people think they can do. Hmm. Now, Mary, are your children involved in the winery now? Uh, no. 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 Um, my husband had three children from a previous marriage, and they came up in the summer, and they helped in the winery. They enjoyed it. Uh, they enjoyed just coming out to the farm, mostly, because we had lots of the animals, and they loved to do the hiking on the back trails and stuff. Um, but they never truly, it was more of a vacation type of mm -hmm. involvement. Okay. Now, moving into Paul and, of course, your involvement in the wine industry, he started the Wine Growers Association. Could you speak to some of the other aspects that he also started and helped to promote? Okay, the first couple of years for the wine festival, uh, we had like a, a gourmet dinner on a Friday. And the first two years, that's what we did. We had gourmet dinners. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we were at the fairgrounds uh, with booths and wineries giving out samples. And then after, the, okay, then on the third year uh, is when we decided to have the greatest of the grape uh, at, instead of the gourmet dinners. And that really took off. That was a, a better uh, attendant, uh, rather in attendance. Um, and it's still going today, 40 some years later. So, and it's gotten to be a very, very uh, exclusive very expensive uh, evening out, but uh, we did those. Um, I was trying to think what else uh, you might have in mind. Um, I think we spoke of earlier, Paul was also a chef and very into okay. food. Um, when we had the winery, um, and we were in the business for over 20 years, um, he would have, um, uh, like on our anniversary date, we, we would barbecue a whole lamb and have uh, members of the Oregon Wine Growers come out to our winery and uh, we would have a party. But he did the, he did the, the lamb in an open pit mm -hmm. and of course we had a lot of other foods too. And. Uh, Oh, I was trying to think in some type cases we had like the crawdads and I can't remember but we had a lot of food with the wine. Oh, another one was the barrel tasting, uh, which is again very, very big even today. Uh, it was, that was his idea and the wineries always had food with the wine tasting. But that was a, uh, another way, usually in March, which was kind of just getting ready to uh, get busy again, but it was kind of one of those slow months. Uh, that's when he decided to try that. And um, eventually he opened up a wine tasting room in Bandon, Oregon. And the first year he had like an art studio with the wine tasting and then eventually that went into a French restaurant with the wine tasting. And he did a lot of the cooking at the restaurant. 
Wow. Was that in addition to running the winery as well? At that time, he was mostly over there, and I did most of the winery. Wow. That's pretty incredible. It was fun, though, back then. It, it, it was always, there was always something to do. Mm -hmm. And it's quite clear that you and Paul both had not only the hard work, but the vision to expand. Most of the visions, I would say, were his. They, he always had an idea. Um, at one point, we were doing commercial pickles. We did commercial jellies. Uh, we sold them all through the state. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually, uh, we kind of scaled it back to just the wine because it, it was too much. Hmm. Speaking to the Southern Oregon region for winemaking, how have you seen it develop and where do you think it might go? It has exploded as far as, I mean, I don't think Paul ever saw more than maybe 10 wineries uh, in the future. Um, he thought at one time we could have perhaps up to 500 acres of grapes, but I know we have a lot more. We probably have close to 2,000 acres right now in Douglas County uh, yeah. with the newest one. I don't know how many acres they have. I think they have plans for up to 500 acres alone for that one winery out in Garden Valley. Um, they just planted last year or two years ago. Fairly so recently. Very, very recently. And it's a big, it's going to be a very, very big operation. Um, there are so many wineries even now that I don't even know I don't know most of them anymore, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's really taken off more than we ever imagined. <laughs> right. Speaking about the varietals, Southern Oregon, there's such a diversity. Were there favorites mm. of yours and Paul's or some that you think are more suited for the region? Yes, but some of our favorites you never hear of. Um, for instance, we loved Simeon. Okay. And Sauvignon Blanc. Um, my husband's favorite was uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and we did plant these on our in our vineyard. Uh, Cabernet is a touchy one because maybe three or four years out of the five it will ripen, and then in one year or two it won't ripen, and that's what Vinrose is good for them. <laughs> right. uh, they're good grapes and everything. It's just that they didn't mature enough to go into a quality Cabernet. Hmm. And uh, the other two that I mentioned were on the little bit spicy, but not like the Gewürztraminer. And we had all the little, those that we grew. We had about 25 acres all together at one point. Wonderful. And my husband did all the vineyard work. And I stayed out of the vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you had your hands full doing everything else. And that's one of the ways I, by not learning how to do the vineyard work, I could never get into it. It's true. <laughs> now, I know you brought um, some articles for us to Chronicle, and you also brought an award. Could you tell us about it? Um, I'm not exactly sure how many years that they gave out uh, the Governor's Trophy Award, but they gave out an award that was the best 
for the best wine in uh, berries and they had, gave another one out for the vinifera grapes. And uh, in 1980, we got the Governor's Trophy Award uh, for the wild blackberry, which was a very dry, not sweet at all, berry wine. The first year that we had entered it in the state fair uh, in commercial judging, um, they would not give us first place because they said berry wines had to be sweet. And then when we questioned them afterwards, they said, well, maybe not. And then the next year we got the Governor's Trophy Award. Good. Always good to question. Well, I don't know. At that time, you have to remember, the wine industry has, has come a long, long ways. Uh, but in people's mind, berry wines were sweet, sweet. Mm -hmm. And red wines were always dry. and White wines were semi and uh, that's not true anymore. Mm -hmm. For the Wine Growers Association and the industry, what were some of the, the hurdles or successes that you remember? The first couple of years with the Wine Festival, the whole idea was, again, promoting wine with food as a wholesome complement to foods. And wine drinking was not all that accepted um, in Oregon and in Douglas County. Um, that had to come gradually. And so uh, the, just the idea of wine, and I, I want to say the word winos, but that's how the public viewed it. And it, there was a lot of uh, resistance of promoting wine and, and drinking wine, but uh, it has changed dramatically. Uh, today it's part of a healthy meal and that's mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. And I think you could speak to this as well. Wine seems to be a very integral part not only of the Oregon economy but tourism. Oh, oh yes, definitely. Um, I forgot, I think in, in Douglas County, I think it's the number two uh, tourist attraction. It could be, I know it's within the top five, but mm -hmm. it seems like I've read somewhere within uh, the last few years that it's number two, drawing people in to take the wine tours. Uh, they have even a, uh, I want to say a business out on Umpqua, I think it's, no, Melqua Road that's called uh, Oregon Country Tours, where they will take people to the different wine reasons you don't have to drive yourself. Right. So, And that alone indicates how many people are probably using that if it's mm -hmm. its own business. If it is a business. Uh, at this point, I think I have a couple questions left, but is there anything that I should make sure that I ask you? Uh, well, you kind of asked and I got sidetracked, which I do. Um, besides the starting of the Oregon Wine Growers Association um, and doing the wine festivals and the uh, greatest of the grape and the wine barrel tasting, uh, Paul also started uh, a couple of other things. As I said, he it was always out there, um, the band and storm watchers. When he had the 
wine tasting room in Bandon. He was told well, in the winter months we all kind of just close up because there's no one coming to Bandon because it's all raining and storming and, and Paul just had opened up the wine tasting room and he wasn't going to do that and mm -hmm. so he started the Storm Watchers organization and they were on CNN national news and uh, people would come every, I don't remember what day they chose, if it was like a Saturday, uh, but they had always something going on every Saturday for the whole winter stormy weeks. And I don't even know if there's still in existence because that was about, oh, I would say in the 1980s he did that. Mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, another thing he did it was he was the founding chapter or president of the Cadillac Club of Oregon, and again, we had that was at our winery because we could have a lot of cars and we and, and the parking was not a problem, and uh, it was promoting wine, but for Cadillac enthusiasts right. and. Uh, we had a lot of people with vintage cars. In fact, we had a vintage car. We had three of them uh, that I just recently sold one of them. Um, the one that he loved was the 1960. And it's what they picture all the time with the big fins and like the Batmobile. <laughs> and uh, we had three of them. And so he, he did enjoy that. Oh, okay. So... Those are other things that he was involved in. Mm -hmm. And always it was in the back promoting wine, getting people to drink wine and having fun with wine. Right, I like that he pulled in a variety of his own interests and passions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in relating it to wine and taking it out to the different audiences. That's a very unique characteristic we don't come across too often with some of these other personalities. That, that, that was just how he was, you know, he mm -hmm. just loved to do things like this. Sometimes a little bit ahead of his time, but it, it, it seemed to work. Good. So, what aspect would you say you felt most passionate about? Oh, I don't know if I'd say most passionate, but I I was proud of the, the berry wines. Um, as I said, they were, they were my recipes. Mm -hmm. uh, I did not like the work making the berry wines. Um, I was so glad. I'm a, I was a school teacher. I was so glad when September came because <laughs> I could say no more berries. I've, I'm done. And I had a bad reaction with the berries with tannin. And right before school would start, my hands would actually turn black from the tannin. And I would have to put my hands in pure bleach and scrape my hands just to get ready to go back to school. I was in the berries. I would be so covered much. with berry juice oh. and berries. And people would come to the winery and they, and I was doing the wine tasting room, trying, you know, and in, in the meantime, between customers, work on my berries. And people would just look at me, and <laughs> they knew I was busy making wine. Right. And 
I did enjoy meeting people and talking to people and and uh, I would say I was I was most proud of that. Mm -hmm. Even though it was hard work, it was stained your hands. It was hard work. It is still very uh, fulfilling. Mm -hmm. So one second, let me make sure I didn't forget anything. Oh, I also wanted to say, and again, going back to Paul's promoting, our wines were served in Washington, D.C. with John Dellenbeck. Uh, he was a senator from Oregon, and twice he took our wines to Washington, D.C., and I have somewhere in the uh, papers and so forth that I brought uh, things that he signed. Um, oh, wow. And... That was also a milestone, you know. You yeah. not everyone can say back in the 1980s your your wines were served at the Capitol. Right, <laughs> right. Especially after only 10 years. After 10 years, yeah. That means a tremendous amount of growth and hard work and promotion. Promotion. It yeah. it, it it took a lot. And now it's, it's widely accepted. I mean, when we look at the community, our community college here mm -hmm. in Roseburg with the Wine Institute, uh, it is getting to be a big, big thing in Douglas County. Most definitely. In fact, do you see, has that growth been easy? Or do, where do you see it going with things like the Wine Institute now? I don't see it stopping. Uh, um, I'm not sure where it's going to actually go, but I think it's a very good thing um, to have knowledgeable people be able to go to the wineries and, and do things right rather than I had no training if it hadn't been for Richard Summer uh, helping us out. I'm not sure if we would have gotten as far as we were. A lot of it is common sense. Mm -hmm. But there is, there, there's more to it than that. <laughs> a lot of hard work too. But uh, now we have people who are really, really trained and I, I think that the wine production and the quality is just going to be that much better. Mm -hmm. We are trying to do some research into pre-prohibition. Do you happen to have any names or knowledge or things that we should look into? The only name that comes to my mind is something like Ray Dorner. Okay. Uh, I don't remember. I just know that he had something to do with the earlier, earlier wine. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't even know who would have that information. I don't, that's the only name I can come up with right now is, is okay. Dorner, D-O-E-R-N-E-R, -E I think, or O-R. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, that's one of our missions. Not only are we hoping to speak with people like yourself, but Oregon obviously has a more extensive wine history before Prohibition, mm -hmm. so we're just starting to scratch the surface on that. I, I, I think that he had a winery at one time. But I don't remember the details on that. Okay. 
All right. Did you have anything else on your notes? And I'll check um, my notes as well. Okay. I know that uh, Paul started the winery somewhere about 1967-68, and we were bonded. We were bonded winery number 47, uh, and that was in 1969. Um, uh, as uh, I don't remember if I said that, uh, yeah, I did, uh, that he was well known by even the governor because he was out always promoting wine. And um, other things that we did, we always had a, I shouldn't say always, for about 10 years though, we had a 10K run in April. Again, that was another way of promoting wine. Right. And uh, we always did it the first Sunday in April, and that was when daylight savings time always happened. And uh, we were the, it was the first run of the season, and from there, a lot of times people would come to get their warm-ups, hmm. and then from there they would go, to, go down to, I want to say, the apple blossom, the cherry blossom, something in Medford or Ashland, or something, there was another one shortly after that, so ours was the warm-up, and uh, that was something else that he had, in, he had visioned. Okay, and that's all I have. All right, then just one last question yeah. for you. If you were to try and summarize what Southern Oregon wine is known for, what would that message be? Or what would Paul say that message is? I don't really know. Uh, we have a lot of, well, a lot of the, the wineries were starting out to be small, and not so commercialized, but now I think they're getting bigger and bigger. And we still have a lot of small ones though. Mm -hmm. It's a clean industry. It's, I don't know, it just seems like a, a very clean way of using the land. Mm -hmm. I didn't have it, never thought of it that way, but uh, it's just a good, clean industry. I don't know if that answers your question or not. It does. I actually really like that answer. That's not something that we've heard before, but you're absolutely right. It's, a lot of times grapes will grow on, like on hillside. They will grow uh, in land that's not well suited for, let's say, anything but maybe goats and sheep and things like this. Uh, I was thinking of our own property. We, we had a terrace one whole hillside. Um, and yes, we did have lots of animals too. We had our sheep and, mm. and you name it, we had it. Uh, that was another drawing factor that for people. We had up at one time up to 40, maybe 50 uh, peacocks. And we had oh. horses and cows. and and the sheep, and you, you name it, we had it. And um, the peacocks were not caged or anything, and so uh, they would fly around and fly down to the winery, and 
and well, made, they made their noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there were a lot of people, you know, who who never got up that close to a peacock before. Right. So, uh, but the the growing of grapes, you can do it almost anywhere as long as it's not too low where it gets fogged in, and to work in the vineyard and and so forth. It's a good, healthy way to go. Mm -hmm. Very peaceful. <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Mary. You're welcome. Is there anything else you want to share with us? I can't think of it right now. Okay. Well, you know where to find me. <laughs> okay. And we'll go ahead and into the session then. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.